Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Behind the Box Score podcast. I am your host, as always, Mac Mori, and I am uh, joined by no one this week. I'm by myself on my lonesome. Alex Comas could not join me this week, and I didn't have time to really set up another guest. But don't worry, we've got other guests coming and other people that I'm going to talk to about the NFL week to week. And of course, obviously, Alex Comas usually will be heard. I guess he was just too upset about that 31 to 16 loss that his New York Giants took. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, he was probably pretty pleased. 31 to 16 seems actually like best case against a uh, Dolphins team that was rolling at Miami, might I add. But we're going to get to uh, segment one here on Behind the Box Score podcast. After five weeks of the NFL seasons have passed, a lot's happened. Uh, one of the things that's happened is now we've entered Brocktober. Brock Purdy has arrived fully a 42 to 10 win against the Dallas Cowboys in what is a long-bedded rivalry, lots of history between those two, saw Brock Purdy play really well. I mean, he had a great game. He threw for 252 yards, 17 of 24, four touchdown passes, three of which went to George Kittle. It feels like George Kittle does that every year, has one game where he's got two, three touchdowns, and then the rest of the season, he's good. I'm not saying he's bad. He's just got that one blow-up game that brings a lot of those stats. Uh, First question that comes to my mind is, It's just Brock Purdy mania right now on Twitter, and it's both sides. Lots of people saying, whoa, we need to slow down. He's not that good. A lot of people saying, well, this is the next coming of Tom Brady. I mean, this is the the greatest quarterback of all time. He's he's now 10-0 in the regular season. He's 13-0, really, if you declare his starts. You could say 13-1 because of the NFC Championship game. But, yeah, he, he has not really lost a game that he's played throughout his whole NFL career, which was remarkable, and we shouldn't take away from that. Where do we rank him right now, though? And I say right now is in through this season, which is always a little hard to gauge because you're always thinking about what you've seen from past seasons. I mean, a guy like Joe Burrow, I'm still going to put above Brock Purdy, but you're right. If I said this season, I guess I wouldn't. So I guess I'm going to say, where do we rank Brock Purdy overall? I'm taking everything we've seen from Brock and everything we've seen from these other guys, and it's still a really good ranking I have for Brock Purdy. I'm going to take in no particular order Mahomes, Allen, Tua, Herbert, Burrow, Lamar, And then I start getting in that Brock Purdy type range. I mean, Dak Prescott, that's the sort of range that he lives in. And and Dak looked horrific in that game. I mean, he threw three interceptions, 153 yards passing, 14 for 24. They couldn't do anything. I mean, the whole night they could not get anything going. I I didn't like a lot of the play calling from Dallas either. I mean, coming out of that third quarter, 21 to 7, you get the ball and you've got a third and four on the fir- on their first drive in the third quarter. They run the ball to the left. It gets stopped for maybe half a yard, and they kick the field goal, 21-10. to 10. On those third and fours against a Niners defense, a run up the left is just it, it's not going to do it. That You need the creativity on every impact play. That's what Mike McCarthy is supposed to bring, and we saw it for a little bit, but obviously the Cowboys, I mean, what have they really done? beaten the 1 and 4 Giants, beaten the 2 and 3 Jets, and they've beaten the 1 and 4 Patriots. They lost to an Arizona Cardinals team that's frisky, no ifs ands buts about it, but still it's it's an Arizona Cardinals team. And then they get absolutely shellacked by what is a Super Bowl contender in the San Francisco 49ers. So the Cowboys have been all over the place as far as just expectations this season. I think they're now where they're supposed to be. They're a above middling team that when we get to the playoffs is going to have a lot of hype behind them. And they'll probably flame out like every season. That's the Cowboys team that just got completely wiped off the floor with the best roster probably in the whole league and the best team right now in the whole NFL in the San Francisco 49ers. They're 5-0 and right now, and I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing. Don't get me wrong. But 
what we've seen from Jimmy G in five games with Christian McCaffrey on the 49ers isn't much different than what we've seen with Brock Purdy in five games and Christian McCaffrey on the 49ers. Now, I'm not Dan Orlovsky here, which Dan's whole take I heard on ESPN was if Mac Jones was in San Francisco, he'd be doing a lot of what Brock Purdy's doing right now. And I get where he's coming from, but no. Brock Purdy, the processing, I have not seen uh, that from Mac Jones. Just the ability to go one, two, three, hitch, throw. One, two, oh, got to get out, move out, roll out. Hey, there's George Kittle on a 20-yard touchdown pass in the back of the end zone. Like Those sorts of things just that just naturally have come to Brock Purdy, and I say naturally, he's got the best offensive mind arguably in the game and Kyle Shanahan and, again, the roster around him. So obviously there have been things that have supported Brock to this very moment, but a lot of what I saw against the Cowboys was just him being a really, really good quarterback. Great play calls, and, and some guys are open, but he's finding them. He's finding them quickly. He's making correct decisions. He just He's not very mistake-prone, whereas I thought Jimmy G had more of the mistake-prone thing. But if you just look at the stats, five games with CMC for Jimmy, five games with CMC for Brock Purdy. Jimmy G after five games, 1,228 yards, nine touchdowns, a pick, and a little over 71% accuracy, 71.7% completion percentage. Brock Purdy, this season, through five games, 1,271 yards, so about eh, 50 more yards or so. Nine touchdowns, the same amount, zero picks. So one pick to zero, and then 72.1% completion. So about the same completion percentage. I think I test, there's no doubt that there's a difference. Brock Purdy looks better than Jimmy G did. It looks more natural. He's more athletic. There's more zip on the ball. I know the accuracy, the completion percentage doesn't show that here by the numbers, but just looking at Brock Purdy, and I guess it's more back to the less prone for mistakes thing. I mean, Jimmy G had two or three throws a game that you'd have a you know an open out route near the sideline, 15 yards, and he just threw it out of bounds. Or, uh, you know, if there, there's an interception that Jimmy G threw, you know, you go, okay, well, that that guy wasn't open the whole time. Why, why were you? What were you looking at? It seems like those sorts of mistakes for Brock Purdy don't really happen. I think we saw it a little bit against. The L.A. Rams, in what was a close game, week two of the season, 30-23, to 23, there were some Brock moments in that game that kind of seemed okay. It's getting a little bit away from him here. 17 for 25, 206, no touchdowns, and again, no interceptions, which has been a huge thing uh, for this 49ers team. They're just not turning over the ball. You had Christian McCaffrey with a rare fumble against the Cowboys, and it ended up not mattering at all. Other than that Rams game, week two of the season, Brock Purdy's looked pretty much flawless this whole year. I'd have him as a top-10 quarterback no doubt, and I think you could probably start to argue that top five for this season. Let me be clear, for this year. If you go past this season, I'm not there yet with him. I'm top 10, but I'm not there in that elite status. And again, I think there's classes here. You know, you got Mahomes in his own class, Allen and Burrow, maybe Herbert now inching up into that second tier. And then that third tier, that third class has got a lot more people in it. You know, it's it's got the Lamars, you know, it's got Tua, it's, it's maybe got Herbert up there. It's 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 now, you know, we're wheeling in Brock Purdy up to that sort of level. Aaron Rodgers, if he's still, you know, healthy and comes back, I'll probably elevate him up to that third tier. I think you'd have to include Trevor Lawrence in that class. C.J. Stroud, if he plays another month or so like this, I think he's got to start being put in the mix. Purdy's now entered that conversation. Dak Prescott's starting to see himself out of that conversation. And you just look at the stats week one through four, Brock Purdy versus Dak Prescott. You've got Dak Prescott with 16 more completions on about the same completion percentage, 71.3. You've got 1,000 less yards for Dak. 
And this is where it really gets interesting. The yards per attempt, 9.1 for Brock Purdy, 6.7 for Dak Prescott. And again, I go back to Mike McCarthy. You got rid of Kellen Moore, one of the younger, you know, more innovative offensive minds in the league. And now you've got 6.7 yards per attempt for Dak Prescott. And But a lot of the, the rest of the stuff's the same. I mean, big-time throws, Dak's got five, Purdy's got four. Overall passing grade, it's, it's <laughs> practically equal. Turnover-worthy plays, Brock Purdy with five, Dak Prescott with three. Average depth of target, Brock Purdy's got him beat there. But you just keep going down the line, Dak Prescott, eight more dropped passes than, or five more dropped passes, eight total. Um, Purdy's got three. So you look back at all these stats, would Mac Jones be doing the same thing on the 49ers? No. I think Mac Jones has got a lot more work to do from a mental aspect. But would Dak Prescott be doing the same thing on the 49ers? I think that's the conversation, and I think that's what we need to remember when we're talking about Brock Purdy, and it's not to take away from him. The dude's a freaking stud. Again, his ability to process, see the field, and minimize mistakes is outstanding. It's something that a lot of young QBs, whether you're in high school, college, whatever, or trying to get to the league, trying to start, should you know look up to, should aspire. It should motivate them to be a guy like Brock Purdy, who was ready when he got the opportunity. He was ready, and he showed strides in these 10 regular season games, 13 games overall that he's been able to play. And I'm like what I'm seeing. He's the only player with two of the top 10 highest QBR games this year. Again, against the Cowboys, we saw, and then against the Arizona Cardinals. So I'm excited about Brock Purdy. I'm not crowning him yet at this next GOAT, um, and I do think the 49ers have a lot to do with his success. But again, I think he could go to a bad team and still look good too. You, you know, do that flip side. If Brock Purdy was on the Panthers, uh, that's maybe the worst team. So maybe he wouldn't look nearly as good, but I think he'd be doing a lot better than Bryce Young. If you put him on uh, a Denver Broncos team that's had some offensive success under Russell Wilson, but defensively has lapsed many times, I think Brock Purdy could do a lot on a team like that. I just haven't seen Brock Purdy get to that next level. And he hasn't, again, I think Alex mentioned it last week, he hasn't really had the opportunity. Has he had his back against the wall? No. I mean, they come out rocking against the Cowboys. That was maybe going to be the opportunity that a lot of people thought, okay, this is it, prime time, your rival, Brock Purdy. Are you going to show up? He did. Did in droves. It was great. Now he's got the best defense in the league next week. Coming off a bye, the Cleveland Browns at Cleveland. Let's see what he does then. I, I I believe in him already, and I'm not saying I, I was I was hot on him last year. You can ask you can ask any of my friends. I, I I was all in on the Brock Purdy train last year over Jimmy G, and definitely over Trey Lance. I've been out on Trey Lance since day one. But yeah, you you, you look at Purdy, and this is going to be his biggest test test of the year so far. And I know that's a lot to say because Cowboys do have a great defense. I don't think it's as good as what we thought. Again, the one and four Giants, the two and three Jets, the one and four Pats. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about this Cowboys team. They're not 12 and 5, 13 and 4, 14 and 3 yet. This isn't a divisional game. Like, this isn't last season. This is this year. And the Cowboys have destroyed bad teams, obliterated them 40 to nothing against the Giants, 30 to 10 against the Jets, 38 to 3 against what might be the worst team in the league in the New England Patriots right now. My God, they're a dumpster fire. I mean, then a 28-16 game at Arizona against what, again, what is a frisky Cardinals team, but against what I'm saying is against those bad teams, they've been able to show up 
They played a frisky team and a great team, and they've lost. So really, what are the Cowboys? I think we can find out a lot Monday night at L.A. I'm excited to see what they do at L.A. Chargers. Monday night football against a team that's uh, got a lot of similarities in, in not living up to expectations and playing down to their opponents. Okay, let's go over to segment two here. The Baltimore Ravens, man, they cannot catch a break. It actually, they just can't really catch at all. Um, I watched this game fairly closely. I looked back at a lot of the tape, and it blew my mind how badly the Ravens wide receivers played. Seven drops, most in a game this season. Those drops would have resulted in over 130 yards and three touchdowns. Um, so anyone that you see on your timeline or in your group text, your fantasy football, whatever it may be, clowning Lamar Jackson, just read him those stats. Why didn't the Ravens pound on the ground too? You know, you see Harbaugh seeing a lot of these drops the first half, the third quarter especially. At that point, just pound it. 12 carries for 48 yards for Gus Edwards, 7 for 32 for Justice Hill. I don't know why stop. 19 carries for 80 yards. I mean, that's over four yards a carry combined. Take it. Let's go. You weren't helping yourself on the on the passing game. I wish they would have stuck to that running game a little bit more, but also guys were open. I I can't blame Todd Munkin of the Ravens just trying to trying to get to these guys that are open and and kept hitting their hands. It was it was a classic Ravens choke. This division could be absolutely locked up. They had an overtime loss to the Colts, a choke now to Pittsburgh. It could be five and zero. Oh. It should be five and zero, oh, arguably. And this division wouldn't be necessarily wrapped up, but it'd be damn near close. You'd have a two and three Bengals, a two and three Steelers, and a two and two Cleveland Browns off a bye. I, you could have the largest lead you've had in this division in years, and instead you've you've pissed it all away. And now you've got a tough game in London against the Tennessee Titans, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. And then they're going to host the Detroit Lions. Then they'll play at the Arizona Cardinals. So it's. Not any cupcake games here. I mean, hosting the Lions, you're lucky you have that one at home. This is a Detroit team that's rolling right now and starting to feel themselves on both sides of the ball. And then you got at Arizona. Again, how many times are we going to say they're frisky? They're they're fun to watch. Then you look at the Bengals' schedule, just looking at this division a little bit more broadly here. They've got next week the Seahawks. Then they've got a bye. And then after that bye, and what a clutch positioning for that because they go at San Francisco, and then they'll host the Buffalo Bills. I mean, really, you could tell me any team would win this division right now, and I'd buy it. I don't know where we're going to be in a month. I, I, I don't. This is, this is crazy. I think I'd have the hardest time believing that the Steelers won it, I guess. But even when I say that, I don't necessarily believe it. They're leading the division right now at 3-2. and two. And the offense had some flashes. I mean, George Pickens looked like a guy that I won on my team. Not only because I'm a Chiefs fan and we're having wide receiver issues, but because he's a damn good wide receiver. And my one thing, my one qualm with George Pickens was he's a deep ball threat. He doesn't gain separation, and he goes up and gets it, and it's fun to watch, and he's very talented. But just as far as the route tree, sideline awareness, I, I didn't see as much of that. I'm seeing a lot of that right now. This is from Dwayne McFarland, who's a fantasy football analyst. George Pickens dominating an expanded route tree this year. Last season, he had 36% of its targets came in 20-plus yards down the field. He was a a deep ball guy. Uh, Now that's down to 13% this season. And you get targets in games without Deontay Johnson, 33, 24, 26, and 32% of targets. He's beating zone and man, and he's playing like a wide receiver one now. That changes their offense. The defense is already there for Pittsburgh. If Matt Canada can get his head out of his ass or if Mike Tomlin uh, does the same and chooses to actually fire Matt Canada, the offense has... A lot of the talent. 
The offensive line isn't nails. Najee Harris isn't great. Warren's good. Wide receivers are there. Fryermuth is is a tight end who can move the chains. We've already we've already went over this defense time and time again. That's the reason they're three and two right now, or for the most part. And you got the Browns. I mean, that's the best defense in the league. Deshaun Watson supposedly coming back. And another team that has weapons. You've lost your main one in Nick Chubb. But again, if you told me any team were to get in front in the AFC North, I, I couldn't tell you just flat out no. And I guess that's the way it would have been before the season. But usually five weeks in, you have some answers, right? You've got at least some sort of direction. Right now, I don't know. I mean, again, that Bengals schedule, next week at Seahawks, a bye. Then they'll go at Niners and host the Bills. That's going to tell us a lot. That's four weeks, I guess. Next three games, next four weeks. The Bengals goes one and two, and now all of a sudden they're three and five. I I think we're obviously starting to paint that picture more and more. If they're four and three, four and four, that's a much different story. Let's go over to segment three, kind of just rolling through here on my lonesome this week on the Behind the Box Score podcast. Should the Titans tank? Um, And really when I asked this, because this was my whole thing before the season started, the Titans maybe should tank. Then they got DeAndre Hopkins, and I switched my whole you know, outlook on this franchise because it was a piece that I thought changed a lot of things. Now you have room for those other wide receivers that can't necessarily get open by themselves and NWI and Chris Moore and, you know, Josh Wiley, the second tight end and Chig and give some more, you know, needed comfort for Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill in that backfield gives them another security blanket option. And it has so far 140 yards on eight catches, I believe for DeAndre Hopkins in this last game where they lost to the Colts 20-16. But when I say tank, what I really mean is sell. Should they start selling? Still remain competitive. Try to win these games. You know, get in front of an AFC South that is going to have a nine-win division leader. Eight-win division leader. Next year in the in the draft, the Titans have a first, a second, a fourth, and three seventh-round picks. That's it. They're not working with a lot. This roster is depleted. It's from a talent perspective, don't get me wrong. There are there are bright spots on this team. We've mentioned the front seven time and time again. You've got Aziz Alshair, Harold Landry, Tier Tart, Arden Key, Big Jeff Simmons. They they've got some guys up there. There's there's no doubt about that. You look at the secondary. He's starting Christian Fulton right now, a 25 year old corner who they drafted. He's been abysmal. He's been an absolute embarrassment to the Tennessee Titans. Is that someone you could sell? A 25-year-old corner that you drafted a couple years ago? I, I know. He's been playing terribly. I'm telling you how bad he's been. But could you have someone take a flyer on him and go, well, you know, he's been with a, a Titans team that's struggled in the secondary. He's, he's been relied on a lot. He was a second-round pick. Maybe you can go get a six-round pick for that. What about the previous mentioned Chris Moore and WI? Nick Westbrook-Akine. Those guys have been really good this season, and the loss would hurt the Titans as far as competing in game to game, but you've got a guy in Traylon Burks who's going to come back. You've got DeAndre Hopkins. We've mentioned Chickaconquo, Josh Wiley. Tajay Spears has been such a bright spot for this Titans team. They can utilize him more in that passing game, and they could go get a fourth-round pick for Chris Moore in WI. I think that. On a bigger note, what about Derrick Henry? I know. A lot of people just gasped. Five games, 328 yards, 3.8 yards per carry. He had that blow-up game. Two weeks ago versus the Bengals, 122 yards and a touchdown. Other than that, Colts, 13 carries for 43 yards. Browns, 11 carries for 20 yards. The Chargers, 25 carries. They gave him the ball a lot, 80 yards, 3.2 yards a pop. The Saints, starting out the season, a good front four. 
a nasty front seven, actually, in general. 15 carries, 63 yards, 4.2 yards a carry. It's not bad numbers necessarily. It's not really that great or even really good. I mean, 11 for 20, 13 for 43, 25 for 80. These aren't eye-popping stats. This is Derrick Henry we're talking about. And that name still means something. And it's not his fault. To be clear, I said it last week and I'd stand by it, or two weeks ago or something, that he's not a top two running back. Is he a top 10? Yes, for sure. The talent stiller, I've seen him break tackles and and move four yards. I've seen him get to the line of scrimmage on runs on second and 10 time and time again and carry a pile two or three yards like he does. He still has that ability. He's a monster. You're not going to contend this year if you're the Tennessee Titans. You could win your division and maybe go upset a team in the playoffs. That's what you've got to be able to try and do if you're the Tennessee Titans. And you can do that without Derrick Henry. And you can really see what you have in what I believe was a fourth-round pick in Tajay Spears, who's been so fun to watch. Just explosive. He's dynamic. He's got superb instincts, and he can play in the pass or the run game. And he was a third-round pick. Excuse me. Third-round pick out of Tulane. So you see what you have in there with Tajay Spears and trade him. I mean, could you go get a second-round pick for Derrick Henry right now? Could you convince someone to give a first? Probably not. No. Probably get a second. Maybe a third. NFL draft picks are hard. It's not like the NBA where you just kind of know what you're going to get most of the time unless it's some insane Rudy Gobert type collapse. But just looking at the Titans roster here, that's what I think they should do. They should start selling. Still try and win games, but you've got to prepare for this next year's draft. If you want to be a contender, if you want to be growing like the teams in your division are, look at the Texans. C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson, they got their blue chip players on either side of the field. They're ready to go for the next decade. The Texans are ready. They got their coach in D'Amico Ryans. Look at the Jags. They've got Trevor Lawrence. They've got Doug Peterson. They went and got Calvin Ridley. Christian Kirk's a young guy that they made sure and paid Travis Etienne. They paired Lawrence up with his guy in the backfield. And then go look at the Colts, who just beat the Titans 20-16. to Anthony Richardson looks like a superstar, as does C.J. Stroud. Richardson's got to stay healthy. I don't think it's his fault. He's had some bad luck. But they've gotten their guy. They went and got a coach in Shane Steichen, who just went to a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles and is bringing over a lot of that offensive consistency over to that franchise. And this is a Titans team that just got a new GM and brought in what is looking to be a pretty solid class. We mentioned Tajay Spears and then Peter Skaronsky in the first round. He's playing well. So a first draft for Rand Carthon that you should be pleased with if you're a Titans fan. You should. But you've got to build on that. And a first, a second, a fourth, and three-sevenths aren't really the way to do that. I, I, I haven't looked at a lot of these contracts, NWI and Chris Moore's contracts. I don't know. Maybe they're free agents next year. Maybe this isn't the time to sell them. I know there's going to be some questions like that. But you've got guys on your roster. Even a guy like, I wouldn't necessarily want to if it's the Titans because their defense has been playing really well, but Arden Key. Go see what you can get for him. Round up some picks if you're the Titans right now. Try and stay competitive. It's going to be a hard year to tank. You've got the Patriots, the Giants, the Broncos, and then the Cardinals and the Panthers. You know, really the Panthers. I don't know so much about the Cardinals, but you've got at least those four teams who are just going to be really, really, really bad. And they could all consider tanking, the Giants being one of them. Daniel Jones taking 177 sacks in his career so far in 59 games played. Compare that to Andrew Luck, a quarterback that was hit often. 86 games, sacked three less times. (laughs) 27 less games for Daniel Jones. He's been sacked three more times than Andrew Luck. So maybe that's a team that'll tank. But if I'm the Titans, I'm seriously looking at at what draft capital I can get for Rand Carthon. Taking a look at their 2022 draft. Traylon Burks, first-round pick, hurt, not playing well. 
Second round pick, Roger McCurry. And this is from Mike Herndon, by the way. Mike Herndon, NFL. Uh, a great Twitter account that you should follow. He's a columnist at paulkaharski.com, and he covers the Titans. So again, 2022, Traylon Burks, Roger McCurry playing well in the second round, Nic- Nicholas petit Frere. He's the backup tackle in the third round. And then you got Malik Willis in the third round, a backup quarterback. Going back to 2021, and this is with John Robinson. 2022 and, and, and before that's John Robinson. This is Rand Carthon's first draft, which again, right now, looks to be like a solid few pickups. Caleb Farley in the first round in 2021. He's on IR. Dylan Radins, he's the backup guard in the second round that you got. Monty Rice, third round pick, backup inside linebacker, hasn't done much of anything. Another third-round pick in 2021, Elijah, Mol- Elijah Molden. He's a backup safety. Going back to 2020, first-round pick, Isaiah Wilson, one of the worst draft picks of all time in the first round on the offensive line. Second-round pick, Robinson follows it up, follows it up. How about uh, Christian Fulton? Uh, another terrible pick. He's been playing, again, we've already gone through it. He, he's been abysmal. Cornerback. He had a third-round pick in Darrington Evans, who's not on the team anymore. They haven't had anyone come on this team and contribute other than even just this season in Skaronsky and Tajay Spears. But you look back, contributors that I just mentioned out of those 2022 to 2020 drafts, it's McCreary, really. It's McCreary. You got some backups. Rand Carthon's got to change the outlook of this franchise. And the only way you can do that is with picks. A first, a second, a fourth, and three seventh round picks are not enough. And again, this is an AFC South that isn't going to have a, a 12 or 11 win team. It's not. The Titans can sell a couple pieces and still be in the running for the AFC South, and that's what I think they should do. Jags lead the division at 3-2, and two, Colts are 3-2, and two, Texans are 2-3. and three. And if you were just thinking about tanking, you've got the Broncos at 0-4, oh they're taking on the Chiefs at 4-1, and you've got the Giants who are 1-4, and four. they're taking on the Eagles who are 4-0, oh. Panthers 0-5, oh they're going to face the Bucks at 3-1, and one. the Cardinals taking on the 5-0 and oh 49ers, and then the Pats, 1-4 taking on the 4-1 and one Dolphins. Those are all the worst teams in the league right now that are taking on some stud opponents this week. So the Titans can't catch up to them from a tanking perspective, and I don't think they should. But this draft class has got some serious talent. So I'd consider trying to sell a little bit from the Tennessee Titans. Eight, two, and three teams right now. The Jets, the Bengals, the Texans, the Raiders, the Commanders, the Packers, the Rams, and then, of course, the Tennessee Titans. Which of those are our contenders? There's only one. There's only one answer who are for real, contenders, not playoffs, not upset alert, not frisky. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. It's not the Jets. It's not the Texans. It's not the Raiders. The commanders aren't contending. Jordan Love and the Packers aren't contending. The Rams went there a few years ago. It's not happening this season. Come on, let's be real. And it's not with the Tennessee Titans either. And they shouldn't just give up. Again, try and win that division, end up with a middle-of-round pick, but have some capital to see if you can trade up in the draft, or trade back in the draft and get more picks. See what you can do, but Carthon, I think, should start thinking that way right now if I'm the Tennessee Titans. All right, let's go over to my Kansas City Chiefs. Four and one right now, the Kansas City Chiefs, and, and it's not like they've played great. You know, that that's that's the interesting part about this, and it seems like every year for the past few years, that's kind of been the Chiefs' MO. Not start out super hot, but end up getting the wins. Powering through and ending up on top more often than not, I remember being at the Bills game last last year, week six, at Arrowhead. And the Chiefs lost. And I remember leaving that game and, and me and, and many other Chiefs fans congratulating Bills fans. And, and every time kind of just saying, you know, we'll see you in the playoffs. Kind of implying that they had gotten the first seed in week six. And it just, 
I look back to that moment now, a year later, going, you can't, you can't ever do that in the NFL. I mean, at, there's there's a cutoff. You get to week eight or nine, and a team's you know two and seven. It, it may be time to to call it quits. It's 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 so easy for one thing to change the whole aspect of a season. That UCL injury for the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen last year had a massive impact on them, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the whole AFC as a whole, in my opinion. I think that changed the trajectory of their team, and we have no idea what's going to happen to any other team like that just this season, and it's terrible. We don't hope nothing like that happens. But even if it's a, a rookie comes alive, you know, last season for Andy Reid, it wasn't a rookie by any means. It's a vet, Jarek McKinnon, but Andy Reid just unlocks McKinnon, and he scores a touchdown for six or seven straight weeks, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, that wasn't a part of their offense that I was really judging or looking at seriously. Yeah, teams are going to do that. Coaches are going to be able to do that later in the season, bring new aspects to these teams. And that's something that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to have to do too because they have not had the wide receiver play. We talked about it last last week, the worry meter. How worried I am, I am, am I about the Chiefs wide receivers, the Chiefs weapons? I said about a four. And I also said that the solutions to the problems that the Kansas City Chiefs are facing right now are on the roster. I still believe that. And I hate saying this about this certain player because I had such high hopes for him and I'm not calling it, I'm not saying it's over for him, but Sky Moore has got to start playing less snaps. Right now, out of wide receivers on the Chiefs who have played legit snaps, legit time, Moore is second to last on yards per route run, 0.97. 0.97. There was a play, uh, first drive of the game, I believe. Maybe it was the second drive. The Chiefs are still on their script. You know, we were within 15 plays. This is Andy Reid's script time. This is when the, the offense, a lot of the time, looks their best. And, and that's true with a lot of teams. Sky Moore, little bubble screen pass. He's got two blockers in front of him with one defender and a lot of green space, a lot of it. He's got a safety coming down about 20 yards maybe up, but there's no one on the left side of the field, and and the vision's just not there. Moore goes and gets seven yards, doesn't even move the chains, and there's players, I believe, on this team that can do more with those sorts of opportunities. You know who's number one on yards per route run? It's the rookie Rasheed Rice at SMU. I said it last week. I'll say it again. He has to play more. He's got to be on the field a lot. He may be the best wide receiver on the team right now. He's definitely the most consistent. He's got he's second among wide receivers on our team in yards, first in targets on the Chiefs and receptions. He's first in yards after a catch. I mean, the size and the yards after a catch ability alone just make him the safest option for Mahomes right now. And, and the hands have been an issue. He's, he's had some drops both in the preseason and in the regular season. But he's a guy who's got to be playing more. Justin Ross mentioned last week as well he he did play more this week it was actually exciting and, and more would be really at all you know that's that's kind of the standard right now for Ross just getting very little snaps had two drops also two catches and one of those catches was a one-on-one you know deep ball where Mahomes just kind of put it up in his vicinity and Ross high pointed it over the corner two feet inbounds on the sideline it's beautiful the players are there I believe the talent is there with Kansas City they don't have a Tyreek Hill okay but what they do have is I think they have a better Juju or or somewhat of a Sammy Watkins a few years back and Rasheed Rice. I believe that. Rasheed Rice is a chain mover, a big body, physical wide receiver who can sit in that zone and then bullet out, just like Sammy Watkins could. You know how Sammy Watkins, <laughs> that one season where Sammy Watkins had, whatever it was, 2019, 2020, where you, you'd throw him a pass and it'd feel like he'd be 10 yards upfield and he just caught it. You know, he's like starts running before he even catches the ball. And sometimes that's what leads to those drops that both Watkins and Rice have struggled with in their career because they're getting ready to go. 
They are excited to move with the ball in their hands. And I think Andy Reid has got to look at that and say, okay, how do I how do I get those opportunities more and more for Rasheed Rice and even Justin Ross? And on that same note, looking at the wide receivers here for the Chiefs, where's Marquez Valdez-Scantling? He's the one vet on this team. He's the one veteran. Not a guy who's been on the, in the league for two or three years. He's a veteran. He's been on this roster now. for his, This is his second season. He knows the system. He needs to step up. Justin Watson's the other vet. He's getting the targets. MVS is not. I, I want to see more of him. And now I've seen Chiefs fans kind of saying, do we go back and just try and get McCall Hardman back from the Jets? McCall Hardman, I mean, healthy scratch in some of these games. He's not even playing at all. If he does, it's on special teams. I don't think it's a necessity for the Chiefs, but if they did it, I, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy about that. And that's crazy because this is coming from a guy who's not a McCall Hardman supporter necessarily. I think he's a gadget guy, but that's what they need. It's easy to get the ball in McCall Hardman's hands. And a lot of the time, it's easy to get green grass in front of me. He's fast as hell. He knows the system. He'll come in and be able to play. I'm not opposed to it. Again, I don't think it's a necessity. I think the Chiefs can figure this out. I am in no way hitting that panic button. But yeah, I I think some things got to get figured out. It seems right now uh, a lot of the offense is Mahomes taking a five-step drop and heaving it up to Justin Watson and throwing a looper in double coverage. And you know, Watson did what he did last week and and Moss it, it looks great. And when it's a pick against the New York Jets in primetime football, it's not as great. The reliability of this offense has got to get better. You look at the Chiefs' schedule right now, just beat the Vikings. Obviously, Thursday night, they'll go up against a Broncos team that has not beat them since 2015. 31-24 was the last time. Uh, the Broncos won September 17, 2015 with a score of 31-24. to 24. I was a sophomore in high school. Watched that game of Buffalo Wild Wings with my brother, Sean. Uh, man, such a sad game. Jamal Charles fumbled the ball with about 27 seconds left. I exited that B-dubs immediately with tears streaming down my face. I hated that team. I hated that the Chiefs were never good enough to, to beat the Peyton Manning era of the Broncos. So if you're wondering if I feel bad that the Chiefs have beaten the Broncos 15 consecutive times, no, I do not at all. I love it. Give me more. I want to kick their ass. This is our time. They had their time. This is our time. So let's see the Chiefs offense get it together against what has been a bad Broncos team. And I want to get into that whole primetime stats. I got some, I've got Mahomes versus Russell. I want to look at that real quick though. The coaching staff of the Chiefs. I think that's part of the slow start too. You got David Girardi. First year as the quarterback's coach. He's been with the Chiefs for a few few years, but this is his first year as the quarterback's coach. Connor Embry is the first year as the wide receivers coach. You got Todd Pinkston, who's the running back's coach. This is his first year in the NFL as a coach. He played under Andy Reid from 2000 to 2004, but you've got some young guys in there, not to mention he lost Eric Bieniemy, And you, you put up Matt Nagy, who's been the OC of the Chiefs before, so it's a much different situation, but I think that's part of this reason, too. That's just been an under-talked-about storyline of, of just the youth in the coaches in the coaching rooms, I mean, and on the roster. You've got youth there, too. So it's going to take some time. I think a guy like McCole Hardman can help, not a necessity. think the pieces are there. I want to see less of Sky Moore, more Rasheed Rice, more Justin Ross. That's where I'm at right now with this Chiefs offense, and let's debut it against what is a garbage defense in the Denver Broncos. Thursday night football, primetime Mahomes, 18-3, just over 6,000 yards in his career in primetime games, 47 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. And this is from Matt Verderame on Twitter, a Chiefs guy. And that includes eight 300-yard games as well, three 400-yard games from Patrick Mahomes in primetime. Absolutely nails uh, when everyone's got their eyes on him. 
and it's funny looking at the stats here. Russell Wilson, Mahomes, pretty similar numbers. Both 66% completion. Mahomes only has 77 more yards passing. Passing yards per attempt. Russell Wilson's winning 7.4 to 7. Passing yards per game. Mahomes about 15 more passing yards a game. Russell Wilson has more passing touchdowns. 11 to 10. Less interceptions. 2 to 4. A better quarterback rating. 106 to 96. And then the rushing yards and rushing attempts. Mahomes beats him there. But just those basic overall stats. It's so crazy to think about this one and four, you know, dumpster fire of a franchise right now in Denver Broncos. And you just, if you're just a, you know, casual guy looking at some stats, wow, Russell Wilson finding his way back. Seattle Russell. And to be fair, he has looked better this season. He has. But not against this Chiefs defense that's been playing extremely well this season. This is the best defense that the Chiefs have had in the Mahomes era. And that is without them being fully healthy for one game yet. They have not had all of their pieces yet, and they won't this week either. Charles Aminahu will not be back until week seven due to a suspension. But I want to address something else about the Kansas City Chiefs as well. A lot of the narrative around the Chiefs dating back to the Super Bowl last year has been the refs. We saw a flag picked up in the 27-20 win over the Vikings late in the game. It was the last offensive play of the game for the Minnesota Vikings. It was a pass interference called against Legereus Sneed in the corner of the end zone. They picked it up. I actually thought it was a really good pickup, thought it would have been a bad call. You've got lots of fans from different teams all around the league right now. Oh, you should have picked that flag up. They should have picked that flag up uh, when they're talking about their respective teams. And then when the Chiefs happen, it's they get bailed out. Well, and I've been seeing a lot of this. I've been taking a lot of shit from it from friends. So let's take a look. Let's, let's take a look at the numbers. Have they been being bailed out? This is from Brett Coleman on Twitter. Since the Mahomes era in 2018 began, the Chiefs have had the third most accepted penalties overall, the seventh most in the fourth quarter in overtimes against them. Third most overall of penalties accepted against them since 2018, and then the fourth quarter in overtime again. Seventh most, 146 accepted penalties in overtime in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs since 2018. And let's just look at this season. People like to say, oh, well, 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 the Chiefs, you know, the Chiefs weren't, you know, mega stars or you know, dynasty in the making till last year. The, the Zebras didn't start rooting against them till this year. Fine, let's look at it this season. That's great. 33 penalties against Kansas City. That's seventh most in the league. Their opponents have been called 23 times, ranking 28th in the league. And again, I would never say that the refs are against KC, but if you just want to look at numbers, they would actually tell you that the refs are against Kansas City right now. They're not holding that laundry at all. And I wouldn't say that they are. But let's just look at the numbers. That's what they're telling us. So there's been nothing nefarious from the refs. No one's bailing out anyone. That was a pickup. That was a good picked up pass interference from the officiating crew in Minnesota that resulted in a 27 to 20 win. And I, again, I think it was a good discussion to pick up that flag. I know late in the game, it's hard to pick up a flag and I don't necessarily love that that's become a, a normality. But at the same time, do you want flags that were called that shouldn't have been that completely changed the outlook of a game? Because we don't like that as a normality either. So I'll take this over that. And then, of course, I think people are up in arms as well because Snead took off his helmet. Uh, when that flag was called, he was angry, frustrated. He was arguing with the refs. And the refs said, put your helmet back on. And a, th- a flag should have been thrown there. You can't take your helmet off on the field. A flag should have been thrown just to clarify the Chiefs still would have had the ball. The game would have been over. The Chiefs would have had the ball and it would have been assessed on their offensive, their next offensive drive. That's what would have happened. 
So I'm looking for the Chiefs offense to get back together. I'm looking for uh, another national outburst, I'm sure, uh, from Chiefs haters around the league because that's what the Chiefs are. The Chiefs are now the new villain uh, of the NFL. They used to be this hero, and oh, my gosh, look at Mahomes. He's so fun. I'm so glad we got a new face of the league. I hate Tom Brady. Well, Tom Brady's gone now. The Patriots suck. Chiefs are it. They're the new villain. I love it. Bring it. Let's go. I'm here. Okay, and then just a look ahead. We've got some shitty games next week. Panthers, Dolphins, going to be a shit show. Devon A. Chance, probably going to be out the next few weeks, but still, it's going to be very, very hard to watch that game. you got Patriots, Raiders. This is a fun, shitty game. You know, like, I think the Raiders should smack the Patriots, but if there was a game where Bill Belichick was going to get it together, it'd be against his former guy in Jimmy Garoppolo. Ooh, that's got some storyline to it. Still going to be bad. Eagles, Jets, going to be bad. Giants, Bills, going to be really bad. And we talked about Ravens, Titans. That, that's an influential game. Titans looking at potentially tanking. I don't think they should, but again, I think they should sell, just to clarify. Um, and a win here would change a lot of those talks. Ravens need a game where they look good throughout. That's another That's another storyline there. They have not looked good for four quarters. So obviously we talked about the drops. Can they get rid of some of those those drops from Flowers and Andrews. And is Odell going to be healthy? Something that we didn't talk about. He got hurt in that game. And that just seems like that's the new normal for him. I mean, it's not new. It is the normal for him. Some other fun games, Saints-Texans. That's one that's going to be good. You know, how do the Texans bounce back? We saw C.J. Stroud with an awesome end-of-the-game drive to put his team in the lead against the Falcons. And then the Falcons are able to get down... The field quickly for a field goal in Young Way Koo ices that game in a 20 to 18 win, I believe it was. 20 to 19, I can't quite remember. 19 to 21, that was it. So, Saints at Texans is a Saints offense that looked awesome against what is a horrendous football team in the New England Patriots. So, what can we judge that? Is Derek Carr fully back? Alvin Kamara, is he going to be able to slice and dice this Texans defense and D'Amico Ryan's? So, yeah, there's some fun, there's some fun storylines coming up next week. I'm excited about it. I will be. Joined again by Alex Comas and maybe a couple other guests. And remember some more housekeeping before I get out of here on a shorter edition of the Behind the Box Score podcast. NBA, it is coming. Season starts in about two weeks. We will have an NBA season preview. My brother will be on. I'll have Zach Guest be on, and we'll gush about this Drew Holiday trade, Kristaps Porzingis, and how good the Celtics looked in their first preseason game against the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll talk all all the trades, all the moves. I'll have Alex Comas on, of course. We'll talk about all things NBA. So next week we'll have a two-episode week. Some NFL and, of course, some NBA. Find it all here on the Behind the Box Score podcast. I cannot wait to be back. Thank you so much for listening.